Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad, crazy martinis for you today. And Jim, the good martini would be much better if it was actually going to happen. But nonetheless, Republicans are doing the right thing here. They are unveiling legislation to really keep the heat on Iran. This is from the Free Beacon. Congressional Republicans Wednesday unveiled what they described as the largest package of Iran sanctions in history, a largely symbolic move meant to handicap the Biden administration's diplomacy with Tehran and send a message that GOP lawmakers will not roll over as crippling economic sanctions on the hardline regime are lifted. The legislation, known as the Maximum Pressure Act, would formally codify the Trump administration's tough sanctions campaign on Iran and force the Biden administration to submit any revamped nuclear deal with Iran to Congress for review before it is approved. The bill, spearheaded by the Republican Study Committee, was unveiled during a morning press conference on Capitol Hill featuring former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who, of course, led the Trump administration's efforts to isolate Iran. Uh, Jim, the fact that the Biden administration is going to go softer on Iran is not only bad in and of itself, it's bad in and of the fact of uh, what Iran would do with its nuclear program. But it's even worse that the sanctions uh, currently on Iran are so effective that Iran is uh, quickly headed towards bankruptcy. And so the only thing that's apparently going to save them financially is Joe Biden. So the fact that the congressional Republicans are making it known publicly in a serious way here, what the policy should be, creates a nice stark contrast. But unfortunately, we just don't have the votes to make it happen. Greg, this is another continuing chapter, and you see kind of this uh, these two different approaches from Republican administrations and Democratic administrations, Bush to Obama, and now uh, Trump to Biden. Um, usually Republican administrations want to take a tougher line, more sanctions, kind of put the economic squeeze on them. And then a Democratic administration comes into office and says, wow, these sanctions are really working. We'd better stop. <laughs> you know, oh, now that we've forced the, you know, now that they're at the table, quick, let's let them all out. Let's let's make sure we release them, and this will make them more cooperative. And yet, strangely enough, it never happens. They don't see the Iranians coming along and playing much nicer. Now, almost everybody in foreign policy ends every both administration and outside of administration, the think tank wonks who study these things, retired diplomats. You generally ask them, okay, what should our stance on trade and sanctions be with Iran? What should that's our stance on trade and sanctions be with Russia? And what should our stance on trade and sanctions be with China? Because they're all autocratic regimes. They are all, you know, unfree countries. They all have terrible human rights abuses. All of them, uh, you know, jail people and worse for criticizing the government. Morally, there's not a huge distinction amongst those regimes. I mean, you can argue about, you know, whether one is worse or whether religious extremism is worse or the kleptocracy style that's in uh, in Russia or the Chinese Communist Party. Like, they're all pretty darn bad. But there are a whole bunch of people, generally on the Democratic side of the aisle, but I think you probably find a decent number on the Republican side who are pretty darn tough on Russia, not that tough on Iran, and in fact want to you know loosen the sanctions, loosen the trade restrictions. And uh, maybe there's been some shift in this direction in, on China, but it's been very slow and very fits and starts and not very sluggish. And it doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. And it basically comes down to, well, I think sanctions will work in this case, but not in those other ones. Now, the problem with the, the you know, administration's point of view on, in Iran is that they really are in rough shape. 
Um, I checked in on it a couple. The New York Times actually did a really nice article reported on the ground because um, I was kind of contrasting how reality has shaped out compared to what I was kind of guessing the world was going to be like when I was writing Hunting for a Horseman. And the first chapter deals with Iran and what happened in that country since the COVID-19 virus arrived. And, you know, we, we got hit bad. There's no getting around that. They got hit worse. And, you know, a, a country that is not ha- does not have the medical infrastructure that we do. Uh, reports of mass graves, um, reports of between that and the economic squeeze. It's really, really bad. So I'm going to observe. I'll meet the Biden administration halfway. If the Biden administration absolutely positively demands that we do something as some gesture of goodwill to bring the Iranians to the table, Greg, I'd be willing to send them some vaccines. <laughs> I'd be willing to give you if you want to get if you want to do something to help them out and alleviate suffering and, and you know because the Iranian people are, are themselves are not our enemy the regime is I'd be fine with you know, send them medical equipment send them ventilators there's, there's all kinds of stuff we can send them that they cannot then turn around and use to finance their nuclear weapons program <laughs> there are a lot of things we can do that will not allow them to arm themselves or cause greater problems down the road and that would be seen as genuinely humanitarian gestures they can't really take the ventilators and reconvert them into poison gas or something like that so um if they wanted to do that terrific i don't think that's really the approach the biden administration is interested in and i think we're going to uh, obviously it's a, i'm glad to see republicans laying this out i think it exposes this glaring hypocrisy double standard or just inconsistency in the biden administration's approach to foreign policy alas greg i'm not sure it'll really do that much to uh convince the administration because they just are convinced they're right about everything and they don't want to listen to anyone on about anything really no that that's that's true i don't know that the vaccine well it might be a nice gesture uh the iranian regime's regard for its own people has not exactly been high on the priority list over the years in fact uh, one of the reasons that the response was so bad is because of their disregard for them the economy's in shambles because they spend so much money including all that money they got on the pallets on nuclear programs and terrorist uh, affiliates like Hezbollah and Hamas and so forth. And so uh, domestic services are in the dumper because they, they simply don't make that a priority. But here's the thing that's, that's bugging me about this. You know, there are a few Democrats who didn't like the Iran deal. Unfortunately, one of them is no longer in Congress, that being Elliot Engel. He lost to an even crazier Democrat. But on the, on the Senate side, uh, Bob Menendez, it's the only issue I think that he's good on, maybe Cuba also. Uh, Chuck Schumer also voted against it. And so with the House so narrow, can't we find like four Democrats who are rational about this issue and, and, and squeezing and economically strangling the world's number one sponsor of terrorism? Uh, it, it certainly seems like it'd be worth the effort. And even if you know, even if you don't succeed, uh, a bill, I know we're, we're short a couple of House members, but something that was in the neighborhood of 218 to 217 would be an embarrassment to the administration. Um, and just one last point here, Greg, on your th- thought that the Iranian regime doesn't really care that much about its people, an indisputable point. Greg, at, at a minimum, if we offer them vaccines or medical equipment or something, let's put them in the position where they have to say no. <laughs> That's interesting. That'd be very interesting. They probably and, and their people watch them. So the Iranian regime's like, oh, we don't, we don't want your Western imperialist uh, running dog <laughs> ventilators. Our people will choke to death happily without you. You know that kind of. Uh, Didn't they actually? I'm, I'm, I think Israelis have already done an offer like that and gotten a similar response. So you know, let's 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 if, if they're since they're cruel SOBs, let's just make sure to underline in red what cruel SOBs they are and use every opportunity to undermine whatever you know molecules of moral authority they still have i feel like they've already rejected vaccines i don't know if they came from us or or from the uk or wherever but uh i feel like they were offered and they pretty much used that exact same rhetoric you know the the great satan we're not gonna take your 
whatever uh, fake medicine or something. Uh, but yeah, uh, they've. I, I feel like they've already done that. But I mean, the Iranians are insane, but they're also evil. So you got to do everything you can to put them on the spot. But uh, let's talk about something happier than uh, genocidal uh, theocracies in Iran and talk about my slippers. Took two years to develop these things and they're the highest in quality and comfort. And right now you can get 40% off with the promo code Martini when you go to MyPillow.com. Iran has hardliners, but these slippers are soft. (laughs) My slippers are durable. You can wear them indoors, outdoors, wherever you like. They have beautiful leather suede, cozy faux fur linings. They have moccasin or slip-on style. They're available in a variety of colors. They have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. They also have a three-tier cushioning system, which includes the MyPillow patented fill, the same stuff in the pillows, the Comfort Memory Foam that provides micro-support, and the patented Impact Gel, which is revolutionary in absorbing impact and relieving pressure. I wear these things all the time. Absolutely love them. Most comfortable slippers I've ever had. I got to say, though, like I've said before, I wasn't really uh, wearing slippers much before that, but these things are great. For a limited time, MyPillow offering 40% off the My Slippers. So go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square. Enter the promo code Martini or call 800-874-0104. While you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and the MyPillow towel sets. You can only save that 40% on the My Slippers, though, with the promo code Martini. Call 800-874-0104 or visit MyPillow.com today. All right, Jim, I should have done this at the top because it's such a significant day. Happy Earth Day uh, to you. I'm sure you're celebrating in highly significant ways. Um, I know it's a tough time for the Earth crowd, the Earth Day movement. It's uh, only their second Earth Day since they've lost their beloved co-founder, Ira Einhorn, uh, who, of course, uh, was later a fugitive from justice for murdering his girlfriend, stuffing her in a trunk and leaving her there for years while he fled to Europe. And so... If you're curious about the origins of Earth Day, we generally tend to mention that about this time every year. Uh, But of course, the green agenda, as we've seen with AOC and uh, so many others, um, is is largely a very thinly veiled, if it's veiled at all anymore, uh, socialist movement. I think my favorite joke that I've heard on this, Jim, is that uh, the green movement is like watermelons. Green on the outside, red on the inside. But uh, uh, yeah, you like that? Although before we get any closer, since we discussed the O.J. Simpson trial and feeling old yesterday, Greg, I want everyone to be clear. Greg just wished me a happy Earth Day, not birthday. <laughs> e, not B. Anyway, uh, but because today is uh, technically Earth Day, of course, uh, the Biden administration is making a big deal out of this. They kicked off a virtual climate summit attended by 40 other world leaders, and by attended means they got on their desk and their laptop, by announcing an ambitious cut in greenhouse gas emissions, as he looks, this is CNN, to put the U.S. back at the center of the global effort to address the climate crisis and curb carbon emissions. But here's the big headline, supposedly. At the White House summit, Biden committed the United States to reducing its greenhouse gas emissions by 50 to 52 percent below its 2005 emissions levels, by 2030. And uh, while the goals are part of the Paris Climate Agreement that Biden rejoined, they are non-binding and the administration has not rolled out a plan on how the U.S. will meet them. So uh, if this is only virtue signaling, it'll be less damaging than if he actually tries to make this happen. They, of course, claim that he can do a lot of this unilaterally. He also wants to be totally neutral by 2050. 
Now, Jim, you and I have talked about energy policy and, and how we ought to do this a number of different times. I think it's safe to say we're both part of the all of the above strategy. Uh, whatever energy sources we can come up with, as long as they are reliable, abundant, inexpensive, won't cost us more than we're paying right now, uh, I think it's something we'd probably be open to, so long as it's not lining the pockets of uh, crony capitalists like Solyndra back in the Obama administration. Uh, if that's what this was about, and it's not, because I think the green agenda is mostly about control, we could have that conversation. But if this is just going to end up with all of us sacrificing uh, as part of some step towards a bigger government agenda, no thank you. You know, Greg, sometime back in the days of Bill Clinton, I want to say around the mid-90s or so, they had a White House summit on AIDS, and the big headline that came out of it was Bill Clinton challenges scientists to come up with a cure for AIDS by the year, I don't know if it was 2005, 2010, some date in the future, sometimes well after by, uh, Bill Clinton had left office. And you think about it, you know, it was a great headline, you know, you know kind of offering people hope, and you know, some part of it's like, what do you think? Medical researchers weren't working that hard till Bill Clinton challenged them. <laughs> there was so, such arrogance there, such, you know, uh, transparent desire for a good headline with no actual thinking through what the actual consequence would actually be needed, what would be taken. And oh, by the way, actually, we have made enormous strides in treatment about AIDS. And you don't hear about AIDS the same way you did in the late 80s and into the 1990s. Uh, because there are various therapeutics and cocktails of drugs and all kinds of things that basically, you know, Magic Johnson is probably the best uh, example of what was once considered a death sentence now isn't really even that much of a, you know, top 10, top 20 topic of public conversation. Uh, and even before the pandemic. So there's a, it's very easy for presidents to say, I set this ambitious goal and then don't really worry about it. It's probably even easier for Joe Biden because let's face it, he's not going to be here in 2050. I'm going to be probably 75 around then. So we're going to be old geriatric senior citizens and we'll have long since finished our, uh, we'll probably, hopefully, well, considering the state of Social Security, Greg, you and I will probably still be working then. <laughs> uh, just a kind of recognition that, like, this is the easiest thing in the world for a politician to do. And let's remember the Paris Accords have no enforcement mechanism. There's no punishment if you don't reach your goal. There's no... The, the Paris Accord, as you know, on the one hand, there's a good reason for, for Republicans and folks on the right and anybody who doesn't like the idea of kind of, you know, half-cocked, uh, idealistic, unrealistic treaty, you know, goes, like, I, it's probably reasonable to object to it, but there's nothing in the Paris Treaty that says, well, we have to do this. Um, yeah, I think the if you don't reach your goals, then the rest of the Paris Accord com com companies say tisk tisk. Countries say tisk tisk, and then they hide the fact that they too have not reached their their uh, achieved goals either. Um, Look, we've already seen, even before the pandemic, carbon emissions were starting to go down. Some of this is because coal was starting to get phased out, not because of Obama-era regulations, but because it simply wasn't as cost-effective as certain other uh, forms of energy. Um, more fuel-efficient cars, which is being driven by consumer demand, although admittedly some, also that $7,500 tax credit, which I think we probably could do without. Um, People generally like having energy-efficient refrigerators and stuff like that, as long as it works fine. Like that's We don't necessarily want to sacrifice any quality in order to get energy efficiency. So the irony is that the market was kind of already getting things in this direction anyway. And government mandates generally get in the way of these things. And you know, for Biden, this is all upside. 
Uh, if you're going to have a goal, well, then why, by golly, why don't you, you know, we're going to eliminate, we're going to reduce our carbon emissions by 99%. But, you know, and if you're doing it far off in the future, if by 2050 we have not reached the goal that Joe Biden set, what are they going to do to him? <laughs> He'll have long since been, probably most of the people in the Biden administration will have long since been gone. So this is all posturing. This is all look at us. Look at, you know, look, you know, this is all the stuff that ends up in campaign ads with stock footage of windmills and solar panels and things like that. Um, it is not really theory, you know, a realistic examination of our energy needs. I assume we're going to see not a single word about nuclear power, even though it generates no carbon emissions, <clears throat> generates toxic waste. But, uh, you know, there's, there's really no uh, realistic. It's this idea of, look, if we just, you know, hug the trees enough and if we just hug the pandas and we just, you know, um, things will be fine. And, and this is the same thing John Kerry was running on back in 2004. Uh, Al Gore was running on this in 2000. Like nothing's changed in the rhetoric around this stuff in the last 20 years. And the re- you know ass- genuine assessment of our energy needs and what it requires to lift people up out of poverty still isn't much a very big part of the restriction. And you know I'm glad they're doing this all online, but we still have seen lots of people who keep insisting about the need to reduce carbon emissions flying around in their private jets. And to quote Glenn Reynolds, I'll start believing it's a serious problem when they start acting like it's a serious problem and making some sacrifices themselves. No, uh-uh, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, you know Clinton challenging uh, on the AIDS front. Everybody's trying to be Kennedy. You know, I challenge you to get to the moon mm-hmm. by the end of this decade. And you need to say decade like that uh, if you really want to be serious about your goal. And it, it just it just <laughs> reminds me of uh, remember when we were in college and you know so. The liberals our age uh, were really inspired by like the hippies and the anti-war movement. So they tried to uh, try to find something as meaningful to them. And all they could find was like the World Bank to protest and uh, third world debt relief and, and st- <laughs> stuff like that. And then later on, it was Occupy Wall Street and, you know, it's just, just, just disasters all over the place. But uh, here's NBC News. 2020 declines in carbon emissions were staggering. Can we keep it that way? No. We can't shut down no. the entire planet every year. So. Yeah, no, and by the way, the fact that uh, people found these kinds of restrictions upon their daily life, um, which generated, I, I want to say it was like a 6 or 7% reduction from uh, for the year. Like, it was, you know, like it was, that's, that's, that's good, but that's obviously not sustainable uh, unless your plan is to keep everybody stuck at home for the rest of their lives, and that's going to cause all kinds of other glaring problems. So... Uh, like in a, in a strange way, the pandemic should have taken the steam out of the some of the momentum away from the folks who expect believe that we were leading to uh, a drastic a future of people dr- using drastically less carbon. We're either we're, the only way we're getting out of this is by innovating our our way out of it. While they're talking about uh, reducing emissions, let's talk about better car insurance for you because you're still driving that thing because you're sane. Uh, but when it comes to car and home insurance. We deserve better rates. I know I do. So I put my policy to the test and turned to Gabby, which literally stands for get a better insurance. Now, getting better insurance with Gabby means a better price for the same insurance coverage. Now, who knew something like this even existed? But they are the one true comparison platform with real rates. They give you an apples to apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers. We're talking about companies like Progressive and Nationwide and Travelers, and it's all in one place. You just use your current insurance information to get started, and in just minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage 
that you currently have. And it's free to use. And it's easy to use. They just give you a few questions to answer, whether it's about your car or whether it's about your home, uh, where do you live, your age, that sort of thing. And then at the end, you link to your current insurance policy and bam, uh, it shows you what other companies will charge you for the exact same coverage. It could not be simpler, and then the choice is up to you. There's no obligation. Gabby customers save $961 per year on average, and they also never sell your info, so you'll not end up with any annoying spam or robocalls. But put your own policy to the test. It can't hurt. Get a better insurance with Gabby, totally free to check, and again, no obligation. Go to Gabby.com slash martini. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash martini. Gabby.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's move to the policing debate again. And while a lot of people are saying things uh, they might soon regret about the uh, situation in Columbus, Ohio, we're going to focus on Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Lori Lightfoot, of course, is the mayor of Chicago. She was all for the protests, remember, last year, except in the square block around where she lives. Yeah, she had the, the little police bubble there. Lori Lightfoot has decided that she thinks police are putting too many lives in danger by engaging in foot chases that end up uh, in, in shootings and so forth. And so she thinks police officers need to get permission from a supervisor before pursuing a suspect on foot. She promises to disclose details soon about a police change, but her quote is, no one should die as a result of a foot chase. And so I'm thinking two things here, Jim. First of all, I'm thinking, well, who usually starts the foot chase? It's usually the perp. And secondly, I can just imagine, you know, how this phone call or this, uh, this call to dispatch is going to go. So anyway, uh, this guy just carjacked someone, and I was just wondering if I could have permission. He's like three, four blocks away now. Anyway, oh, I got to go on hold. Thanks. Oh, wait, sure. Uh, how do you think this is going to go, this getting permission? So I, I suppose they should just call this Give the Crooks a Head Start Act. Um, <laughs> you know, Head Start we usually think of as being a, a you know, federal preschool program, not a, no, no, we want the purse snatchers and the, the muggers and everybody else to get away easier, you know. Now, look, are there times where it's worth reevaluating uh, police procedures? Sure. Although I'm reminded a bit of the old Robin Williams joke about how he, when he wondered, this is back in the 1980s when crime was much more prevalent and much more violent, you know, quite violent and probably the days of Bernie Getz shooting up the subway and people being worried about crime. But Robin Williams found it absolutely fascinating and baffling that, the, that most of the police over in the United Kingdom were not armed. And he remembers thinking, you know, what exactly do the police say over there? Stop! Or I'll say stop again um, <laughs> instead of stop or I'll shoot, you know. Um, but I, we have seen jurisdictions say, um, you know, after police uh, uh, car chases have gone wrong, that, you know, maybe a high speed, the, the dangers of a high speed chase, the dangers of uh, that pursuit to other citizens outweigh the value in getting that particular uh, perpetrator. It's a complicated moral compass because we've all, you know, for a while there, by the way, high speed chases turned into. Uh, programming for national cable news. Like, you know, you'd be talking about uh, some bill on Capitol Hill. Oh, wait, we're getting word that there is now a high-speed chase on the 405 in LA. We're going to take you live out to the chopper, and then you just watch it. And then, you know, you were just kind of waiting for either the crash or the cops to get the guy. And it was rather... You know, they, we watched a couple of times. They turned out quite badly. I believe there was a suicide that was caught live on air on, you know, I think it was on Shep Smith on Fox News or something like that. So there's nothing wrong with police saying, all right, 
is our pursuit of this criminal in this circumstance representing a danger to the public and not worth it? We can always catch this guy uh, at some later time under safer circumstances. But the idea of any p- foot chase. Now, here's the thing. We don't have, we know, police, if, if police were like shooting into crowds or something like that, or, you know, uh, opening fire with lots of people, okay, then that would make sense. But there's no indication that foot chases represent a particular danger to the public. I, I suppose somebody could get knocked over or something, but generally going out and chasing co- criminals is exactly the job of a cop. And then you're kind of left wondering, what exactly does the mayor want the cop to do there? Um, it's uh, kind of back. Oh, by the way, like, hey, Greg, um, wasn't it like like there was a week in January where cops were the good guys again after the after the Capitol riot? Yes, yes, exactly. Is that, that's, that's I guess it was just a one week thing, right? It's conditional. Oh yeah, cops are bad guys again. Okay, just so you know, I, I need to get those memos updated because it seems to switch back and forth depending on the day. It also depends who's involved, who the police are confronting. That uh, mm-hmm. completely changes your opinion. Of oh, the is that the factor? Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is going to catch on, whether it's going to actually happen in Chicago. But, uh, you know, if anybody watches detective shows from back in the 80s, like Hunter and Magnum, it seems like there was a foot chase pretty much at the end of every episode. The only detective who somehow always got away with never having to do that was uh, uh, Angela Lansbury. People would just uh, get confronted (laughs) with her facts and go, yeah, you got me. Yeah, good work. Oh, 80s cop shows, foot chases were like 80%, I'm sorry, 20 minutes minimum, and then like 20 minutes car chases. Although I think chips brought the average up uh, quite a bit. It was entirely, uh, um, just two things we should point out. The only, In fact, I think the only 80s cop who never had to chase anybody on foot was Colombo, um, who managed to, you know, get the guy. It always seemed like you know, in the drawing room, he managed, that clue-like setup, he managed to confront the person. Um, having said that, we, I just came across my desk Greg, I have noticed the idea of no foot chases in Chicago. It has just been endorsed by a prominent local doctor. Um, Dr. Richard Kimball says there should no longer be foot chases in the city of Chicago. So maybe I I do find a a pretty interesting uh, argument there. I guess you'll have to do your hard target search some other way. (laughs) It's hinky, Greg. (laughs) All right, Jim, we'll see where the lunacy brings us tomorrow. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you haven't already. Uh, We are very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Remember, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great day, and please join us again on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit DanaRadio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.